and welcome to the ArborPod Detective Dendro series. Today's guest is John Lloyd in the case of the courthouse conundrum. This podcast is provided by the International Society of Arboriculture. Over the last several years, I'd developed a pretty good relationship. Heck, I'd even say it was a friendship with Mac. Mac had been the city forester for Springfield for more than 12 years. In college, he'd cut his teeth and earned his stripes in the city. When first on board, he was full of new ideas. He wanted to fix and build Springfield into the urban forest example for all communities. As with most college grads, he learned quickly that implementing what you are taught in school in the real world of community politics and hidden agendas is a new and daunting educational experience. His persistence had paid off. To his credit, he'd managed to save 30 of the 35 elms from Dutch elm disease in Springfield City Park. Had the public works and street crews working around trees and roots and had the city on management cycle for pruning and other routine tree maintenance efforts. Usually when he called, it was to ask if I could teach some of his city crews basic and advanced landscape and tree health diagnostics, or to review a plan from the city planning department for him. But today, he sounded more agitated than I'd heard him in a long time. After a few niceties, we reached the point of his call. Detective, I'm in a tight place, he started. You know those sugar maples, Acer Sacrum, around the county courthouse plaza? I do, I said. I knew of the trees to which he was referring. The courthouse was one of the original buildings in the city. The original elms had been replaced in the 1960s by the sugar maples. The trees had grown well in the silt loam that was common topsoil in the area. Well, three years ago, he continued, we started noticing decline. So I had the city and county staff that maintained the sidewalks in that area switch from sodium salts to magnesium salts. It seemed to have slowed the decline, but the trees aren't turning around. Mayor Bachman, my boss's boss, is running for re-election next year and is concerned that her opponent is going to use the city-is-going-to-hell approach. She doesn't want to provide her opponent with any ammunition and thinks the declining trees around the courthouse and plaza are a political weakness that needs to be fixed. Darn it, I thought. When politics get forced on biology, the results are never close to the initial intent. However, it does serve to bring political will to an issue, and with political will comes additional capital to fix problems. The creative part is to use the resources to make a long-term fix in a short time period. Okay, I said. I get it. Send me the information you have on the soil test you took three years ago to determine that salt was the problem with the trees. And can I assume that you did another soil test this year? Yes, I did. We've noticed a decrease in sodium, but not as much as I'd hoped. After switching salts and trying to wash the sodium salts out of the top foot of the soil, the soils in Springfield, especially around older buildings that were built on sites that retained their topsoil during and after construction, were well drained. The pH of the water in the area was neutral, so moving sodium salts out of the rooting zone should have been effective, especially after three years. That's interesting, Mac. I'll see what I can do to help. Thanks, Detective, he responded. I asked Codet to screen through the Journal of Arboriculture, Arboriculture and Urban Forestry, the Journal of Environmental Horticulture, and other scientific publications to find the most recent research information on salt impacts on mature trees. He came up with several articles, but none really addressed a similar situation. In most cases, the salt damage was remediated by watering and using organic matter to bind the sodium. Unless the studies were using fertilizers that had high salt contents, the sodium and chloride concentrations in well-drained neutral pH soils decreased after watering. Well, we'll see what the tests tell us, I thought, as the familiar tone of my email reader chimed. It had received the results from Mac. 
The initial analysis had indeed indicated that sodium chloride salts were the likely culprit impacting the trees. The more recent soils report had less sodium and chloride, but the levels were still elevated. Mack had also included an analysis of the irrigation water on the site, when and where fertilizers were used, as well as a complete soil nutrient analysis from three years ago and the current season. It was as complete an information set as I had seen in years for diagnosing a soil and tree issue. I discovered that besides increases in magnesium, which could be expected with the change in de-icing salts, the nitrogen concentrations, total, and nitrate were also high in the recent analysis. Mac didn't generally fertilize mature trees, and upon further questioning, neither his staff nor the county staff had fertilized the area over the past three years. They mulch mowed the turf areas and supplemented water during drought, but that was it. I asked myself, could the increase in nitrogen itself be an issue? Or was it the result of some other factor that Mac hadn't accounted for in his initial diagnosis? It was time to visit the site and dig a little deeper. Godet brought the car around and we drove down to City Hall. It took us a while to find a parking spot. As we drove around, I looked at the trees around the buildings and in the plaza, and also those in the adjoining neighborhoods. Most of the street trees were sugar maples. They were your typical street tree population. Some looked good, some didn't. And most reflected the condition of the house in front of which they were planted. When we entered the plaza, we first looked to see if there were patterns to the decline Mac had described. If the salt damage was continuing, we would expect the most severely impacted trees to be near sidewalks and buildings. As it turned out, this wasn't the case. The trees near the buildings were in decline, but were better off than their counterparts in the plaza. Looking at the internodes, we discovered that growth had been reduced for the past five years. The trees near the buildings had recovered from that reduction in growth this year, but those in the plaza had not. If sidewalk salt was the only issue, then we would have expected to see recovery in the plaza trees before those near the buildings and sidewalks, not the reverse. I had Coda take a soil sample from the trees near the buildings, and also from the plaza. There had to be something else going on for these patterns to be so consistent. I had my suspicions, but it needed confirmation since my idea was a little out there. We stopped by the university to meet with Dr. Green, since he managed the soil diagnostic service at the local college. I'm always willing to search out additional expertise when the diagnosis gets out of my comfort range, and this was one situation where confirmation was needed. Otherwise, my diagnosis would be no better than a guess. Code had handed Dr. Green the resealable bags with the soil samples we collected. When the researcher opened the bag containing the plaza soil, he coughed a little and grimaced. I think I might have an idea of what's going on, Detective. Let me run a few tests, and I'll get back to you next week with something that should help Mac. Thanks, Doc. I appreciate it. When Dr. Green makes a statement like that, it usually means he's figured it out. He just wants to collect the data he needs to make sure he's on track. following week, I received an email report from Dr. Green. He completed both chemical and biological screens on the samples, and had found that there were differences between soils adjacent to the plaza trees and the sidewalk trees. Strangely, the plaza soils were high in ureaform nitrogen and had high levels of sodium chloride. The biological screen had identified both Escheria coli and Clostridium difficile in the plaza soils that were absent from the sidewalk soils. 
Both organisms are common in soils, but are also closely associated with feces. Attached to the email was a city flyer from three years ago. The flyer described how the then new mayor Bachman was working with the Recreation and Parks Commission to make this city pet-friendly. The flyer advertised the first annual Springfield Dog Days Parade and festival to be held at the city and county courthouse plaza. It also detailed how it would be the first park in the city to provide off-leash puppy time on weekends. Oh, goodness, I thought. Who would have suspected that having dogs in a park could impact established trees? But then I remembered reading an online article from the city's section of the Atlantic about city trees and grates being impacted by people's dogs. In New York City, for example, dogs are supposed to do their duty in the gutters. But as we all know, a tree or a fire hydrant is much more attractive. When there are that many dogs, and they concentrate their potty breaks around the trees, there can be issues with soil salinity, as well as bark and trunk damage. I didn't think Mac was going to lose his job by bringing the situation to the mayor, but I did recommend he go to her with a plan of action. We discussed replacing the top four inches of topsoil with a compost and sand mix, and increasing the irrigation in the area to move the contaminants out of the rooting zone of the trees. We decided that putting mulch around the base of the trees would help increase adsorption and breakdown of the urine by microorganisms. I also suggested using rough-cut wood chips instead of smaller mulch. The rough-cut materials can be a deterrent to dogs. Mac took my suggestions and even built on them. In addition to protecting the trees, he placed what he calls sniffing centers at the four corners of the plaza. Essentially, they are just fence posts for dogs to leave their mark. By making it more pet-friendly, he figured he could concentrate their activities in places where the trees would not be impacted. I'm waiting to see how the trees respond in the next couple of years, but I don't think we're likely to see any headlines saying, Mayor's Puppy Policy Kills City Trees. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the ArborPod Detective Dandro series. You can earn CEUs for these podcasts. Just log in at the ISA store, click on online CEU quizzes, and find the Detective Dandro quizzes. Stay tuned for the next ones. This podcast is provided by the International Society of Arboriculture. 